0: You know, I always say this, it's, it would be like having the job of the devil would be difficult when your enemy is so powerful and so good and so pure and so holy. And like all that the devil's tried to do in your life can be unwound in one church service. So that'd be depressing. Uh, don't feel sorry for the devil. All right. We're in a series called Church in the Wild. I'm Pastor Corey, if we haven't met. Are you guys ready to get into it? Um, this is Pastor Aaron. Doesn't she look cute in her little skirt today? Okay. All right. <laughs> All the guys are like, I don't know if I'm allowed to clap about that. Um, We want to invite you, if you're new to Venue Church, to a seven-minute party that just happens out there uh, in the lobby. We'd love to just connect you a little bit uh, with what we're doing and our next Pizza with the Pastors, where you really get to hear our heart, which this series is kind of about. We're, We're asking the question, you know, I could ask church people, I'm a pastor's kid, so I grew up with church kids. And so I could ask everybody in a church, in most churches, who's church for, you know, how's it supposed to function? And you'd get a hundred answers from a hundred people, you know, and so it's hard to build church when everybody thinks it's for something else. And so what we're doing is in our series, we're just going through like, why don't we ask God, our father, what he thinks his house ought to be for, who's, who his heart is for. And so that we can like get together on a mission. Um, Cause you don't get the anointing without unity. And it's hard in church culture when church people start thinking that church is about them. And we always say it like this. Hey, welcome to Venue Church. Like, we love you. We built this place for you. Church can be a little about you, but not a lot. Because that's not the best for you. You'll never find your purpose in serving yourself or just trying to be happy. But you will find all of these things in, in Christ and in your destiny. So um, so I want to just invite you to, to take a step into Venue Church. And uh, I want to invite somebody here. And we have a lot of people already signed up. Need to get baptized. So... I know you've been telling yourself like it's just a private decision between you and me your wife doesn't think it it's private it's just between you and me baby we don't need to go public with our wedding no you need to go public you need to formalize this relationship with christ and say look i'm going to give you all of my old life of sin and shame all the things i thought i was good at I need your life, I'm gonna give my entire life to you. And so if if you're ready to make that decision or if you just need some information or you wanna talk to my dad, Pastor Richard, he'll walk you through, what does that mean? Just check in at the brick wall, we'd we'd love to help you uh, find and formalize a relationship. You need to put a ring on it, dang it. Let's go. All the single ladies, all the single ladies. Put your hands up. Okay, Um, we got any single people now? <laughs> no, I don't mean my own kids. No, like, keep your hands down. You know, I said we have all the single people in the house and, like, two people put their hands up. That's why you're not married, y'all. <laughs> okay, whatever. Um, hey, uh, Thursday night, we had uh, an incredible youth night. We had over 120, pe- I think, or er, just about 120 people in the house at youth. So if you've got teenagers, get them into youth. Um, this Friday is an all-air youth night, and it's, we're hosting it here. So get your kids out to that. It's going to be great. All right. Thank you, Sean um today's sermon is called 99 problems um don't listen to that song 99 problems aka church people uh problems you're gonna love it um if you grew up in church culture i'm gonna preach about stuff that you may not have heard about in church culture we're pretty open about some of these things so um before i do that i just want to say just as your pastor i'm really proud of you for engaging in small groups um i can't even remember the number of people in the small groups Uh, in our first week of small groups. So great job. You took the challenge. You got integrated into the family of God. Now let's get you on a dream team and serving, but I'm really proud of you. You know, I was talking with um, a couple last week and this might sound like your life. Um, I think he grew up a bit religious. She came from no background of faith and a lot of people that come here have have had, you know, but they say like, I have a religious background. They meant like grandpa went to church. He was a creaster, right? He went Christmas and Easter. Um and so welcome you know like we built church really um with that uh target in mind and so but I was talking with this um with one of the church guys a uh, young guy new to church uh you know kind of came back after a long time his daughter made him come to church cuz venue kids is so awesome and so she's like we're going to church so and so he's like yeah she's the reason we're here um he said you know my dad was that angry church guy he was that angry christian guy you know um Church gets, you know, church gets weird, I think, when we forget that it's God's house. Does that not make sense to anybody? Like, it's weird when you go into somebody's house and you forget whose house it is. You're like, this is my house now, you know, this is what we're going to do. And this church needs to reflect uh, God's heart. Now, I don't know if you know this, but... um, but your relationship with God, your father, the nearest earthly relationship to that would be your relationship with your dad. Now, I happen to have a great dad, uh, Pastor Richard. He's retired now, but uh, you see him wandering around. Not, wa- not, not wandering. He's like, <laughs> like, where am I? Who is this? You know, <laughs> like, hey. Um, But, you know, to translate that relationship, is that him back there, servant? Come on, somebody clap for my dad. He's such a a good guy. Um, So, but to translate my relationship to my heavenly father had very few barriers because I, my dad just taught me what a good dad was like. And so, so when God asked something of me or wanted to correct me, I didn't, you know, I don't think to myself naturally, like, what does he want? You know, like, oh, is it gonna hurt? You know, this is not gonna be for my good. He's trying to take something from me. So that I just never had to fight through what some of you have to fight through. One, uh, one of the best reasons to go to freedom group, I think, you know, you're like, well, we're gonna, my daddy issues are going to come up. They will because you're not seeing God the way that he is. You're seeing him the way that you are or the way that your dad was. And so, so as we think about, um, that relationship, um, I had to learn my dad. I don't just think that you're going to come into this relationship with God and know everything there is to know about Him. It's a very complex relationship, you know. Like when you're dating your future bride, you think that you know stuff about them and about marriage, and it turns out that you don't. And so, but God, you got to imagine like God getting to know us, the infinite getting to know the you know the very limited spectrum. We see the thing is we want God to know us, like oh no, me God, the real. If you knew God. <laughs> He already knows you, so. But you've just never been in a relationship like that before, and and if your dad wasn't um, really a good dad, so my mom taught me actually. My mom is sitting right here, um, Pastor Beth. We uh, we still call her Pastor. So my mom is great, but she she told me see because her dad she had to she had to unlearn some things from what her dad and that relationship looked like, so that she could understand her relationship with God, her heavenly Father. And one time she said because uh, her dad was. Um, you know, Irish background and so, um, you know, handsome, good-looking, all that things there. Uh, He was a modest, uh, volatile. Um, So her dad was great when he was in a good mood, but when he wasn't, he wasn't, right? And so her mom kind of ran the home just because Grandpa Jim was sort of all over the map, But, but my mom was also his favorite. And one time God asked her to do something, like, hey, I want you to do this. And she started a negotiation. And this is what she said that God told her. Don't try that cute stuff on me. I'm not your dad. Like, it's not going to work. I'm not going to change my mind. I'm not going to be talked into. I'm not, God is saying, like, I can't be blackmailed because I feel guilty because I got mad. You know i He's not going to change his mind about what he told you to do, which is the best. God says, I have a... Plans for you, good plans for you, plans to prosper you and give you a future and a hope. And so she had to unlearn some things. And then she taught me with my dad. She ta- I remember she told me one time, she said, um, she said when, you ha- when you need something from your dad, he's very project-oriented. God made him that way. And our entire family benefits from that. Like, he will finish what he starts. Don't interrupt him. When he's working on something, don't interrupt him. Distract him. He won't be able to finish the thing that would bless our family. You know, um, and so she said, if you have a problem, this is what I learned how to do, because she had to learn that, too. She said, bring it to your dad and say, when you have a second, could you come over and look at this? She said, then when he comes in a half an hour or an hour, when he comes, you'll get all of him and he won't stop until it's finished. So as we think about church, we got to think about like, OK, we've, we've got to learn our father in heaven so that we learn that when the church needs to look a certain way, it's for everybody's benefit that it does that. And so um, Jesus is trying to teach us about his father. He's like, you're going to have to unlearn some stuff, guys. And he says, suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Won't she light a lamp, sweep the entire house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she will call in her friends and neighbors and say, rejoice with me, I've found my lost coin. In the same way, he's saying, there is joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. So he's saying there's something that the church of his day didn't get. It didn't reflect the, the heart. of Did you know that the church of Jesus day didn't even recognize Jesus? So how can a church where all the prophecies have been about Jesus not recognize Jesus? Churches can get out of sync with the heart of the father. And you start caring about things that God doesn't necessarily care about. And you stop, stop caring about what God really cares about. And then the church starts not reflecting God and it's not, going, it's not aligned anymore to the vision that God has given a church. And so we, we have a new um, neon sign. Have you seen it out there in the brick wall? Isn't that awesome? A life saved is worth everything. You're like, what, what does that mean? That means a life saved is worth everything. We bleed out every drop of blood for one more. Like every dollar in my bank account for one more eternity. Are you kidding? That's, a life saved is worth absolutely everything. Why do we put that up there? As a constant reminder that that's what God cares about. He'll seek until he finds the lost thing. Well, you were the lost thing. Have you forgotten what that felt like? Now, um, God is obsessed with lost kids. Now, does anybody know somebody who's like a little obsessive? Just point at whoever you think is obsessive. Just, I mean, even met you, but you look kind of, I feel like you get your teeth in this stuff, you know? The first thing Pastor Irgun and I ever did was go to a Peter's game. Um, it, that wasn't our first date, though, I don't think. She just found out a couple of years ago that I asked her, one of her, her friends first. I'm, I wasn't hiding it. I just didn't, it didn't come up. So she's like, you asked Robin? And I'm like, yeah, no, I just thought that, anyways, lucky you. Um. <laughs> she goes, oh, she's too tall for you anyways. And she raises rabbits, and I don't think that would really work for me. So, but... Um, if you raise rabbits, like I'm not going after rabbits or anything like it's great. It's great for you. I just, I don't know how I would do with that. Um, tomorrow we celebrate 24 years of of marriage, (laughs) 24 years. I mean, there is a God in heaven. I'm telling you that's all now I should have, I should have kind of tuned in to, to pastor Aaron's obsessiveness a little bit. And I tried to tell the story about once a year. Um, remember that story I told about blueberry cobbler? Was it like recently she made me blueberry cobbler over at her house. And then I'm like, you know, basically proposed marriage because of that blueberry cobbler. Um, I had a birthday this week and Tyler and Brie Bree brought over blueberry cobbler and put it in my oven. And I'm like, am I, I already fell for this. One time. Am I supposed to propose or, <laughs> but Tyler was there. So that was weird. So, um, <laughs> it was so good. Um, so our first date date, I picked Pastor Aaron up. I was going to take her to a movie. And so I'm standing in this little entry of a duplex. She lived with four Christian uh, gals in the house um, right off of 16th Ave in Calgary. And so I w- I'm waiting there and she's like, hey, I'll be right there. I'm just going to go get my boots. I just can't find my boots. And so for me, that means something coming from my home, you know for her. Um, so she's like, so she goes back downstairs where her room was and I could hear her like rummaging around down in the basement. And then you can kind of hear it spread out all this time. I'm standing in the entry, which is good. Cause I'm super patient and you know, it's a first date, so let's make a good impression. Right. And so she's rummaging around then she comes up the stairs and she's like, I'll be right there. Um, then she goes through the up- upstairs house and she can't find, uh, she can't find her boots. And so, um, She's like, oh, then, then I'm like, oh, I'll, I'll be right there. And then she goes downstairs. Now, this happened several cycles. Um, now, to understand the emotional damage this was doing to me <laughs> is that somebody like me, you know, one minute of your life, um, like a, a minute to most people is like an hour to somebody like me. So I live life in dog years. Like I jam a lot in there, right? And so... If I'm waiting in line or something, does anybody love like waiting for things, but it's so much more emotionally damaging to somebody like me because I'm just like, everything is like so intense and this is not happening. And she kept doing this loop of the house. Now, now if you're new to church, you know, you'd think like five minutes would be a long time. Pastor Corey, like 10 minutes. Wow. 15 minutes. Oh no, Lord. 20 minutes, 30 minutes at the one hour mark. I finally hollered on our first date. Can we just get in the freaking car? I'll buy you a new pair of boots. (laughs) Can we just do this? Like somebody, I don't care. I don't even, what are boots? Why are we here? Her obsession for boots. Now try losing one of her kids, which I did at IKEA. I heard code 99 in the kids, and I'm like, somebody lost a kid. <laughs> Somebody's in trouble. And then Katie comes flanked by IKEA staff, and I'm like, oh. This is one of those times where you're like, Katie, we gotta talk about how to keep a secret. This is going to be something you're going to put in a box and you're just going to bury it super deep and someday a psychologist will dig that up for you and it's going to cost a lot of money, (laughs) but we're not going to talk about it while mom's alive, right? So (laughs) obsession for lost things. I didn't know that we had lost a kid. I think a lot of church people haven't really let that emotion sink in that God lost a lot of kids. And, uh, sometimes you forget about it because what church people tend to do is like, Hey, you know what? We still had three kids. Like three out of four isn't bad. We'll just love these, but churches can do that all the time. Like, Hey, we're good. We're good. We have enough money to pay the bills and. Like, we're okay, I guess. You, you have to understand something about God. He's not okay. He's never going to be okay as long as one of his kids is out there. If it's you, he's not going to be okay with it. And the church, venue church, cannot be a church that just is like okay with it. No, no. We, we're we joyful. We're in the battle. But there's a dull ache in our soul for the one that's not here yet. And you won't get it until it's your brother sitting beside you. You won't get why, we, why kids are better over there because they got a 10-minute window until salvation. And we put a... Christian baby beside him scream. You know what I'm saying? Like, you won't get it until it's your brother, then you'll get it. Well, everybody's somebody's brother or sister or mother or daughter. What if we could take the same emotion that, that if we lost, Nassia lost one of her kids at the mall and the security guard was like, I'm sure she'll turn up. <laughs> Have you met Nassia? <laughs> Somebody gonna turn up in a landfill. <laughs> Not okay. It's not okay. Now, the, the church lost my generation. I'm Gen X. I know I said I had a birthday. I turned like 30 <laughs> in my head. We lost a generation. We just well lost Christianity in our nation. than the generations that followed after that, it should have been something that that kept sweeping forward and getting better and getting better. But... We have to take some responsibility as a church Um, you know it's funny and then Gen X left the church I don't think when Gen X largely not everybody did but a lot of a lot of us did when we left the church I don't think in our minds we were leaving God but it turns out that you can't leave God's house without leaving God and I need to say that to somebody if you're returning to God's house you're returning to God that's where God is he's in his house as messed up as the house looks like as messed up as the bride of Christ looks like at times, be careful how you speak about the church. That's why if you, if you ever have visited other churches, we don't take any bad mouthing of churches here at all. We love church. We're just church with a little C and we are here to bless. And and so we left the house of God. And then it turns out that we did leave God. We just didn't figure that out for about 10 years. And then we became part of the problem and not part of the solution. And uh, you can't be part of a solution if you leave. And a lot of our, and so I've been studying this now. I'm a pastor's kid and I love the church. So that wasn't my experience, but a lot of my Christian friends that grew up in, in different types of churches, I'm going to talk a little, can I just like be honest about church structure and like how this works and, and, um, most churches don't fail for spiritual reasons. They fail for just wisdom reasons. Most churches don't start preaching like terrible theology. They fail for other reasons, which become spiritual reasons. And so, um, my parents are great parents. Uh, they weren't the legalistic Christians of the day, but a lot of my friends had, um, had Christian parents who, um, I would say went to churches. Can I just be honest? Like just a lack of leadership in churches left, you know, it let them off the hook for the mission of the church. Then everybody just made up their own mission. And that's hard to, that's called division. Like. It's so hard to do. There's no anointing of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that it's the anointing that breaks the yoke. Meaning if you have an addiction or you've got a thought pattern or a relationship pattern, it is the anointing of the Lord that breaks that the anointing of the Lord. It's like this proximity to this ease of this oil in the gears that comes from the great power and grace of God. But if you have no unity, there's no anointing. Well, if everybody's got their own vision for you, you've got no unity. So you, I mean, unless you don't believe your own Bible. Um, now, church people are made to fight. You need to understand this, that. You're made to fight. So what I have to do is I got to get a sword in your hand as quickly as I can and be like, fight the devil so you don't fight each other because you're made to fight. <laughs> you're going to love this sermon. He's not doing it. I'm doing it. Uh, I started this church. I don't think you can kick me out. Um, you know, my dad said they had a, um, a demon board. I'm a deacon board. Um, and I always gets a laugh and he said they they argued one time cuz it's all that they knew for church structure right so they argued one time for one hour over what kind of stationery the pastor would be allowed to use i mean that was me i'd be like an hour i'd take all the stationery in the city and burn it and be like we don't even use paper <laughs> like whether he's allowed to have cabinet doors that lock in his own office i mean you think that that's a, effectively going to go after the, what the devil is trying to do Um, but they didn't know any better, you know, and churches got, got fussy. They got judgy and the church turned inwards. You know what my, one of my main jobs is, Hey, it's not about you. In fact, your problems would go away. Probably most of them would, if you'd reach your neighbor, like it's just a way that God It's my job to turn it back out. Okay. It's not about you. It's about my family. Doesn't think of my family is about my family and it's a healthy family. Then they hired a certain type of pastor which I am not. That took me a long time actually to get my head around that. Cause a typical Canadian pastor is very, um, I, I don't know how you would say this. How would you describe a typical, like in the denominational setting, the type of pastor that a church board hires, um, would be soft, kind, baby kissing, <laughs> hospital visiting, like, um, like pastoral in that sense. Does that make sense? Good counselor. um, like, I'm describing Pastor Aaron, aren't I? She's really the church pastor. Like, I'm not describing myself at all. But you've got to understand that a church board, when a church board hires and fires, uh, and, and that is the structure of the church, is that the board hires and fires shepherds. Now you've got sheep hiring and firing shepherds. That gets weird, right? And so then what happens is um, the division starts in at that level. So now, now would, would sheep really choose the shepherd that God called them to be? Not that this is the right kind of pastor, but for this kind of a church, this is apparently the one that God chose and y'all got to deal with it. Now we have pastoral people, but small group leaders. That's where we pastor people. But I, it took me years to get over this. Cause I'm like, I'm not like that person. You know, I, I was the kid. I never won a Christian character award in the Christian school. Like ever. They, I wasn't even on the, sh- I wasn't on the short list, the long list. I was not on a list. They're like, we wish this kid was not here. And so, cause, cause the Christian character award didn't mean what you did for the gospel. It meant the kid who keeps his mouth shut and everybody gets along with. And I was just like, Like, why are we doing this? I feel like everybody wants to ask it, but nobody has the courage. Can we just explain why we're doing this? If it doesn't make sense in my brain, I don't feel like it's working. You know, then I get pulled outside and get a lecture about my character. Okay. Cause churches, church boards who can, can hire and fire pastors do. Now we have a director's board here. We have offsite on that board a uh, pastor friend of mine in Calgary, we have oversight pastor Nate who represents my pastor, Peter, meaning I can get fired by the board, but I can't get fired by you because you don't like the shirt that I'm wearing. Yeah. Or you don't like the sermon that I preached. Cause it hurt your feelings. You know, yeah. I can't get fired, but they're for like specific reasons called sin and certain types of, you know, yeah. like I talked to a friend of mine who, who ended up leaving this town that some of you actually came from his church called gifted anointed, been in town for 18 years And he he says to me over lunch uh, a few years ago, he says, Pastor Corey, he doesn't call me pastor, we're pastors. He's like, Corey, we got, I've got so much vision. He's like, what do you think? And I said, your structure, your church structure won't let you. Your board is going to stir up trouble because you need to shift the board. But they're the ones with the power. And I said, your own structure will work against what the Holy Spirit wants you to do. You can structure a church and a family in a way that doesn't please the Lord and doesn't look like the New Testament church. It's just traditional. Meaning the pastor is a voice, but he's not like a voice that can come in and be like, we need to do Easter and we need to like go for it. It would be a committee meeting. And by the time Easter has come and gone, you know, we say like this, we don't have committees because committees are something that you form when you don't want to do anything. You just want to talk about doing stuff. (laughs) So we're like, we don't form committees. We form teams. And by the time your committee has met one time, we've done it three times. And we're like, that didn't work, but we've tried it or it did work. And here's how we're going to movement and action and fight. This is a war that we are in. How long do you think we have to talk about things? But what happens is the church in my day when I was a kid started reflecting society. You ready? Because you, you're, you're from Canada. So you think that demo, you know, democracy, as if that's what we live in. You think democracy works in the church. Does democracy work in your home? Dad, would your teenager re elect you? <laughs> You'd have to make some bedtime promises and some ice cream in the morning promises and some I want to do whatever I want promises. My family took zero votes. Thank God. My parents are good parents. It was their job to lead and to steward and to correct and to encourage and to bless. And the church started reflecting society as if that that was the kingdom of God. This is a shock to some people walking into a church like ours. Cause they're like, Oh, we think that God is the leader and we should just do what we're told that that's the best for everybody. But enter church politics. As soon as it becomes a democracy, enter voting, enter. I was on a 40 minute phone call this week with a pastor friend of mine who took over a 77 year old church. And, uh, had just had one of his staff leave because he was too rude. And I'm like, does that mean that you just like, Hey, we have vision. We should go. I mean, listen, can I just be super honest with you? We are not looking for sensitive Christians. Get over it. Like get over. This is family. It's a horrible mess. You're a hot mess. We love you. Forgive each other. If you got something to say, then say it. But the other person gets to say something back. And then somebody's dad gets to come into the room and be like, stop it. Stop it. Get along with each other. Hug your sister. Hug her. Smile. Tell her you love her. Love you. Say it like you mean I love you. Say it like you mean I'm fine. I love you. Many of these churches just aged out because nobody. Actually, I'm going to go to my friend's church for a couple of days and mess his board up for him. I'm going to be like, God sent you a man of after his own heart. You got to follow this vision. You got to go. Now let's start mobilizing so that you can align and mobilize and go and do something. Then you won't have time for all this stupid garbage that churches. All right. Don't tell the board that I'm coming though. I'll just come in super nice and like, hey guys, it's going to be great now. Okay. Many of these churches aged out because unless you were, you know, until you were 65 and a man, you couldn't actually sit at a decision-making table either. So then, you know, two generations underneath that, they're like, I don't feel like these guys, I mean, know what's going on in my world. Know what's going on in in our schools anymore. And so this is why we have a bunch of kids um, graduating from venue kids into big church today. And so... This is why, like, you're, I don't uh, know, like, uh, what's the age or whatever? What do we do? They're in grade six now? So the grade six kids now were like, hey, you're in big church. That means you can run a camera. You can do just about anything here. You can't drive people around. All the boys are like, I want the driving jobs. I want, I feel called. Um, we're like, we get you in so that you have a seat at the table. Rather than sit there and wait and wait and wait and wait until all your energy and then you're just bitter and then you're just, and then you're, then uh, church gets three generations behind culture. Listen, the gospel never changes. The need in a human heart never changes, but the questions people ask sure do the, 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 you know, the things that people are all up in arms about now weren't on my generations, you know, at all. What well, we were worried about, you don't care about it all. So we got to like, right. Do you see the loss through the eyes of your father? When you see that difficult person in your neighborhood, you know, the one who borrowed your lawnmower and kept borrowing it. Do you see them as somebody that God is desperate? Like he's got you there to reach or the kid walking home from school going back to who knows what. School is some stability and he's going back to, you know, an alcoholic parent or just neglect or. Do you see, can I say the school teacher? These guys are juggling a lot right now. Do you see the person in the store who's just trying to hold it together just to make it one more day? Do you see the grandparent who still doesn't know Jesus and has lived their whole life in a lie and in a pointless existence, but we're too busy because we're... Do you see God's unadopted children like God sees them? He's just like, just... Do you see the guy... With too many toys, and none of it's going to matter. He's got no hope, but he's got no purpose. Luke 15, tax collectors and other notorious sinners came to listen to Jesus teach. Why? Because his father loved it. If this church is not a place (laughs) that a tax collector These were like mafia guys. They would take contracts to Rome. And if they collected over that, that was their wage. So collect it however you want to. These are mafia people. These are heavy hitters. They came to listen to Jesus and other (laughs) notorious sinners. Do we have any notorious sinners in the house? I mean, like, you're like, I feel like I'm kind of a sinner, but a notorious sinner. That's a big deal. Um, This made the Pharisees watch the professional church people. And teachers complain. So something that his father loved, they hated. That's a problem. That he was associating with sinful people, even, oh my goodness, eating with them. Oh my goodness. If we eat with people in town that are just unchurched people, I remember that's where I met uh, Jason Coplet. He asked me what, what, Josh Bacoltz, he asked me... They're like, what do you do for a living? I'm like, I pastor a great church called Venue. And then they immediately look at my tattoos. To which I always say, I got these in prison. And then it just makes everybody relax. If a church person doesn't like tattoos, I just say, I got these in prison. And then they were like, oh, well, I guess that's okay. I guess he got, I guess he got saved after that. And I'm like, well, I got these after I became a pastor, but okay. Um, so Jesus told them this story, told who the story? Um, Cause he's talking about, he's talking about lost sheep now. Now I'm going to suggest to you that he's not talking to the lost people because they know that they're lost. If you come in here, you're far from God. You're like, I'm far from God. I'm on a journey. You know, I've got to tell me that I'm far from God. I know that I'm far from God. And so he tells who the story. I think he tells the church people. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Sometimes in church we're like, God asked me what I would do. He's like, why don't you ask me what I would do? You're having a struggle in your marriage? Why don't you ask me what I would do? Well, God, I just want to... Why don't you forgive and pray? Why don't you speak the name of Jesus over your family? Why don't you realize that that you might be the key that unlocks something with your forgiveness and your mercy and your service? Maybe you're in that place, in that work environment because you're the only one God's got there. And when people watch you deal with injustice and unlock something inside of them, the Holy Spirit starts coming in. It says what will he do won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go to search for the one that's lost until he finds it so now I'm a church person I grew up in church I worked out in industry for a lot of my life but I grew up in church so as a church person I know emotionally well, when we hear this we're like wait so he's gonna leave me to go find the lost one so this is where an unengaged and unformed church has problems Because this won't make sense to you until you're in small groups and serving. I'm just going to be honest with you. It'll feel neglectful, his obsession for the lost one. It'll feel neglectful to you. But until you're living in the blessing of God and small groups and service, and like, I mean, coming to church every Sunday, until you live in the blessings of God, you have to understand that he's like, I'm leaving you with your brothers and sisters. I just need to go and find, but I'm leaving you in good hands you are in good hands. But if you're isolated in church and you just attend on Sundays, you don't get it. we are like, well, he's, he's out there. It's like, why does Venue spend so much of its budget trying to reach lost people? <laughs> you want a pat on the back for eating out of God's fridge? You remember your life before this? You were like, hey, congratulations. You had nothing. Now you have everything. It's like, God, why is he leaving me all the time? It's like, well, you could go with him. You get to eat in the fridge. You get to forgive. You have power. You, you're not the same broken person you were. Great job, everybody. Great job, Father in Heaven. And when he has found it, he will he will ca- joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. When he arrives, he'll call together his friends and neighbors, saying, "Rejoice with me! I found my lost sheep." In the same way, there is more joy in the church. Wait, wait. There is more joy in heaven. The church had better reflect heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous in heaven straight away. I don't know if you know, uh, Lee Lockhart. I'm sorry for you get, get, get prayed for. You know, he comes to me after last week's service and, uh, he says, pastor, um, I'm gonna leave the church. And I'm like, God answers prayer. <laughs> if you don't get sarcasm, there's other the churches. He said, I had to give up my seat last week. Our second service was crazy. I had to give up my seat to somebody new. I had to give it up again, maybe again. I had to go into the prayer room and steal all the chairs. I had to go upstairs and steal all the chairs. He's like, this is just not the church experience. It's a big joke to Lee because he remembers what it was like to come in and not know anybody and just need something, not even really know about Jesus. And he remembers what it's like being lost. And if he ever forgets, I'm going to remind him about it because that's my job. Don't you ever get fussy about the chairs and the music and like live through the eyes of somebody coming in broken who just needs one touch from the Lord that could change everything. Just one that there is God who loves you and cares about you. You can come in broken and sinful and addicted. It's okay. We're a family. We love you. We're going to get over it. We'll help you. October 15th, we need to go to three services because the city needs us to. This is the first service and we're packed. Three services, October 15th, October 15th. We need you on a team. If you're like, I don't know, my schedule just like, well, then you point at somebody out there in the city that we can't serve and be like, you don't get to go to heaven because I'm a little busy. Cause I'm not gonna do that. And this is not gonna be that church. We're like, we'll do whatever we have to do to adopt more kids. You can sleep in my bunk bed. I'll sleep on the floor. I don't care. I get to go to heaven and my bed's gonna be awesome there. Let me tell you where this started for me. So we, were, uh, we did church in a small town in another age, it feels like. And I got an email from the church. I took dad's church over for a couple of years before we came here, before I closed it down and took some volunteers and came here. And uh, I got an email from a church attender that said I mean the email was ridiculous if you read it I'm just like entitled, entitled, me, me, me me. every sentence, I, me, we mer, 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 mer. the only time I came up in there when it wasn't about them was like because they were mad at me about stuff in not a single place in this entire email they're like the church has changed since we started coming 10 years ago, I'm like your family changed you adopted some kids from Ethiopia right? it doesn't look the same, you dealt with it You gave two kids from the street a chance to live in a home. Now, this family you need to know goes to a friend of mine church now. There was like a turnaround that happened. But I get this email like, we're leaving. We don't like this. We don't like the name. We don't like this. And I'm sitting there reading this. And I'm like, is this what we're doing as church? Is this what we do? And Jesse Fair on our creative team who does all of this. You know why it looks so good? Because he remembers what it's, it's like to get dragged to church by your mom when he left God and sit there angry every week while I preached to an angry kid who hated God and hated his life and hated everything. And he came into my office that afternoon and gave his life back to Christ while this email was on my computer. And i said out loud, I said, and I say it all the time. I will never again try to keep a church person happy if it cost me influence with the one who could come home ever again, I will never again try to make church people happy when we could reach a lost person. Cause if they'd been focused on that, maybe they'd have been more into his life and less uh, have less time to get fussy about stuff. You got to understand our father's obsession. Look, we can be 99 problems to God, or we could be 99 search and rescue.